Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Swirl Suite, everybody. Happy Wine Wednesday. Today on the podcast, we have Monique Bell. Monique is a professor of marketing at Fresno State, and she researches the intersections of business and culture. Her recent work has explored survey data of black wine entrepreneurs in an industry lacking diversity. The name of the study is Terroir Noir, 2020 study of black wine entrepreneurs. She gives us all the details behind this study and why it's so important. Cheers. Welcome to the Swell Suite, everybody. Happy Wine Wednesday. Glennis and Leslie, hey, how y'all doing? Yes. Doing fine. Happy Wine Wednesday to you too, ladies. Thank you. Are you guys going to the Portugal tasting on Wednesday? Yes. I am. I will be there in the a.m. Oh, okay. Jetting out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll be there for a few hours just to do the walk around tasting. Then I'm going to come home. Yeah, just, and also, yeah, as it, it depends if my, you know, supervisor don't put something on my calendar Wednesday morning, like he did for the wines of South Africa. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was so hot. Oh, yeah. so hot because I wanted to go so bad. But my plan is to be there in the morning. Leslie, you went to the South Africa tasting. How was that, the event? I did. I liked it. You know, um, I was expecting very traditional Chenin Blanc which they did, they had that. Um, but they started out with Cap Classique, mm-hmm. which was excellent um, because you don't have a lot of opportunity unless you're looking for those to try different ones. And um, they had a couple of rosés that were made with the Pinotage. And I know yum. Pinotage. Yum, yum, yeah. yum. Yeah, some people are like, I, I realize Pinotash is a very divisive grape. I don't understand why. Yeah. Yep. Some people either you it's one of those grapes you either love it or you mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. I haven't right. had I haven't met too many people say, well, you know, I'll I'll drink it if I have to. They either want to or they don't. I love it. It's just yeah. big, bold, stinky yeah. on the nose, but beautiful <laughs> on the palate. Ha. Huh. Yes. Yes. Okay. I was having it was a moment. Nice. Sorry. <laughs> and then they had they had a round of they didn't have a round of pinotage they had a round of um cab sauce which when you think of south africa you don't always think of cab sauce so so wait, was, oh, how how was the event was this like a seated like master class or was it a walk around tasting it was a seated master class oh okay okay it was a seated master class and it um they had people from New York there mm-hmm. and one other location. I can't remember. I apologize. So it was a seated masterclass in their upstairs area. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in previous years, then they had the open tasting mm-hmm. on their bottom floor. They did not have that. It was okay. just upstairs. Interesting. Huh? Hmm. Yeah. I always love that South African event. The wine. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I never get enough of South African wine because it's so little of it in retail stores. Right. And quality. That's the other thing. It's hard to find really quality wines from that area that are in the retail store. Yeah. That you're not paying a lot for. Yeah. 
Yep. Because mm-hmm. the first part of that tasting was supposed to be sparkling, right? Yeah, that was the Cat Classique. Cat Classique. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yum. I was so, when I saw that and I saw the pictures, I was like, they're part of go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting because it's very, um, their sparklings are very much influenced by the French. Mm-hmm. So they use um, mostly uh, Chardonnay and Pinot Noir. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Because mm-hmm. Graham Beck makes a really nice it, they do. Um, sparkling wines and at great price points as well. So it's a, always a go-to if you don't see anything else. You're like, oh, okay, That's, that'll work. Let me take some Graham yeah. Beck. I would love to have tasted that Pinotage Rosé. What was the flavor profile like? Was it, was it, did they leave the skins on long? Was it a dark, not a dark rosé, but a heavier pink color? Or was it a light, a pale, pale? I would say like medium. Medium, okay. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, some um, sparkling rosés, like you can barely tell that. It's a rosé. No, it was, it it had, and I think also with, you know, the Pinotage grape, the skins are so thick. Right. Yeah. That you don't have to have a whole lot of contact for a long period of time to get significant color. Get the color. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Nice. So medium color. Oh. Hmm. Can we? Do, were you able to discern whether the, that particular one can be found in retail stores um, easily or no? I asked who the distributors were, and so I'm waiting for some feedback on okay. to get that information. I was going to follow up. But I'll let you know because some of the people who were there tasting were retail mm. people. Oh, okay. okay. So um, they definitely had people who were buyers as well as um, bloggers mm. and, and uh, media there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, my, carrying, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Like, oh, no, I go mean, ahead. Go ahead, Glenn. I was getting ready to say, do you think you're going to carry some in your um, wine club? Oh, good question. Yes. Yes, I oh, am. Nice. Uh, that will be nice. a preview for um, our Christmas. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. And can your best friends from the Swirl Street? <laughs> yes, most definitely. Most that was definitely. a shameless plug. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Go ahead, Cerise. <laughs> I was just going to tell you about the, um, I attended a virtual Kava event this past Saturday. Julia, everybody know Julia Coney. Uh-huh. She was the lead. And um, she was working with um, the Okava. And so we ordered two bottles of wine from them. They shipped it to us. And then Mm -hmm. she led like a masterclass. I mean, y'all know Julia. So it was very educational, but uh, casual. But um, I learned a whole lot. I thought I knew Kava. I did. But I learned a whole lot. Like for one thing, I didn't know there were nine Kava grapes. Mm. I only knew of three. Um, let's see the next time you buy a cava, look at the top of the cap because the color determines how long it's been aged. Really? Yeah. 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 I'll, um, I'll get the slides and I'll, I'll like write up like a list and stuff, but I was really shocked about how much I did not know about cava. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's great. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. And we tasted a really good cava. Retail price was $14 and I could not believe it. 
And I was like, there has, you guys have to work hard to get Kava in these retail shops because it's always the same brands that we see. Right. And I feel right. like it might be like five of the same ones that we see over and over again. But um, yeah, the one we had was absolutely stunning. I'll put it in the, I'll send it to y'all and put it in the description box. It was really good. Oh, excellent. It's really um, less expensive. Yeah. Because I have been on the hunt for a good kava to carry. Mm -hmm. And um, I just have not really been impressed what the distributors are yeah. carrying. So I'd like to know the name of that one that you. Sure. Know. And also, you know where I go to get kava because they have the biggest sparkling wine selection that's not champagne is the um, Crescent Wine Shop in Bowie. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's where I go. Cause everywhere else has the same bottles. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Especially if you come out here in Montgomery County, uh, you would have to go. I like, I have to go to total wine to get some, to prayerfully get an obscure sparkling every now yeah. and then. Mm -hmm. um. Yep. So we have a special guest with us, Ms. Monique Bell. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you all. I'm getting my own education here. So <laughs> thank you for that. Love that. <laughs> sure. Uh, welcome to the Swirl Suite. Um, introduce yourself for those who do not know you. Sure. So again, my name is Monique Bell, and I am currently an associate professor of marketing at Fresno State out here in California. And I've been here about eight years in this role. And I had the fantastic opportunity uh, last fall, fall 2020, to um, embark on what has become like a passion project, passion journey of studying Black wine entrepreneurs. Um, and so last fall, I um, began interviewing and surveying uh, Black wine entrepreneurs, um, about half of which were actually like wine producers and wine brands, um, and then other folks in other roles, whether it was media, um, uh, consulting, in, importing, exporting, distribution, et cetera, um, and just got to know all about the challenges as well as the um, the benefits, the advantages of owning your own business within the wine space as a Black person. Um, and so that's what I've been really focused on with my research in the past, in the past year since that time is just um, putting together that story and trying to share it far and wide and continue collecting data around that story. So I have a question. So let's back up a bit. Tell us like how this idea even came about and why you decided to go to Black entrepreneurs in wine versus Black entrepreneurs as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was a, a pretty big leap for me. I'm pretty much used to studying um, consumer behavior um, and really, you know, yeah, just studying consumer behavior. So what inspired this whole path was really attending the Oakland Black Vines Festival uh, back in February, 2017. Um, and as you probably know, that's hosted by Fern Stroud. It's going on, I think it just celebrated its 10th anniversary. And it is a showcase of black wine makers, 
and a coming together of black wine consumers. And so I had never seen anything like that before in my life. <laughs> I was, you know, prior to that, I did not really make the connection between uh, black ownership within the wine industry. And so seeing that and hearing the folks stories about owning vineyards and, and all of that, I was just super impressed, super intrigued. And I said, I have to, I have to learn more. Um, and so that's where it came from for me. It was really out of curiosity about how they were able to make uh, that leap into the wine industry, uh, what their experiences were, uh, that really sparked my interest. And so um, once I had an opportunity to apply for a sabbatical semester, uh, which just means you can focus for a semester um, on research or professional development, really anything but teaching, um, you can devote your time to. I said, well, I want to apply um, with that as my focus area. And to be honest, I wasn't really sure if it was going to be accepted. Um, one, because it hadn't been done before. There was like literally nothing in the literature and very little in the popular media about black white entrepreneurs. And so there was that obstacle to get over. But also, you know, in academia and, you know, in the real world as well, uh, studies about black people, black uh, entrepreneurs aren't really valued. Um, it's kind of like, I wish I would have studied this several years ago, but uh, the academia really pushes you to um, focus on what's most generalizable. So not really focusing on what they would call niche areas like uh, minority entrepreneurship and such. Um, so I wasn't really convinced that it was gonna be accepted, but thankfully it was, and it's been a wild ride. Uh, since that, that I'm grateful for. I feel like you just created your own major. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I, I can see people like studying this and having like a full degree in this, in this one subject. Wow. Wow. That is, yeah, that gives me chills. I think it's very possible. Um, and I would love if I could contribute in any way to that happening. I would love to do that. Um, kind of something else that's near and dear to my heart is making sure that younger people aren't in their 30s like I was when they before they realized that this is a whole industry that you can jump into and make your mark in. Um, I think there's only one HBCU, which is FAMU, that offers something in this realm. It might be a certificate in enology or viticulture, um, but I want young people to know that this is an option for them. Um, you know, whatever their interest is, chemistry, marketing, um, law, all of that can be applied um, to this industry and that they, you know, there, there are paths to being entrepreneurs. Monique, I have to admit that I had received a copy from someone else um, earlier. Mm -hmm. So then when um, Sarita said that you were going to be on the show, I was like, I was so excited because I can, uh, ask you about it. One of my biggest concerns, well, not concerns, is observations is there's so much content that they, it needs to be a sequel. Oh yeah. Oh there, yeah. There needs, there needs, and there's, like you said, there's so many different avenues mm -hmm. that I think you just scratch the surface. You're absolutely right. And that's kind of, um, I would say some of the feedback that I've gotten that people were expecting, people that I kind of previewed that this was coming, 
they're like, well, I want it, I want it to get the, the full experience. I want to know what did they say? What were they thinking? And I'm like, okay, that is part two. <laughs> you know, I had to at least set a, a baseline for us to say, okay, what is the state of black wine today? You know, what are just the bare minimum metrics that we can use in the future to go back to and see, are we doing better? Are we doing worse? How have we progressed? And so that's what I wanted to just share first was that kind of, um, not quite raw, but really kind of unfiltered data from the survey, just the metrics so that we can say, okay, here's something we can all agree upon. This doesn't need much interpretation. It is what it is. Secondary to that, and what I'm working on now is um, really going through the transcriptions of the interviews that I did because I interviewed more than 40 um, Black wine, entre wine entrepreneurs um, over Zoom. And so those were transcribed, thank God, automatically. <laughs> I didn't have to try to transcode it myself or transcribe it myself, uh, but we still have the manual work of saying, okay, so what are the themes? What's emerging um, from these interviews that we can really capture and share and provide that richer story about what the Black wine entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneur experience is really all about? So yes, hopefully part two, part three, part four, I want to um, talk with uh, black wine professionals because initially the study was going to cover both entrepreneurs as well as professionals, but that just kind of got a little bit too muddy, a little too cloudy because there's different experiences. And so I do wanna focus on professionals and then ultimately on consumers and perhaps make this kind of an annual kind of you know event that we can reflect upon and say what's changed, what, good news can we celebrate what what's coming next so when you say entrepreneurs just for our audience can you define who's in that bucket how you're defining it yes um so um as i said initially i was including both entrepreneurs and professionals entrepreneurs i would consider those folks who own a wine centric business um so again that was uh for the most part about half of the people who responded, the, uh, that those were folks who own a winery, own a wine brand, if it's a custom crush, um, yeah, who are actually producing wine in some form. Um, but it also included media folks, um, some maybe one or two distributors, um, importers and exporters, retail shops. Um, but in all those instances for the final study, they needed to have ownership of that particular enterprise. So they weren't working for someone else, they owned that venture. And then professionals, I consider um, folks who are of course skilled, educated, um, experts, uh, but they're performing their services for someone else's business. So that did you, did you, what was the two things? What was like the most, shocking revelation that you had from that? And then secondly, what was the other thing you were like, yeah, I figured, I figured this was the case. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, I was surprised, but not really, but kind of about uh, that people were so gracious to take the time to do the survey and or participate in the interview. Because if you think about last year at this time, we were in the middle of pandemic. If you lived in California, you had the fires going on. 
I, as a novice to wine, did not realize that in North America, the fall season is the harvest season. So they don't have time to talk to me. <laughs> um, so you add that in. Um, and then, you know, the political landscape, there was just a lot going on last fall. And so I was surprised that people were so gracious and, you know, forthcoming. And they were really thanking me for interviewing them or taking the time to hear their story. But I'm like, no, you are inspiring me. You're giving me that extra boost to keep going, you know, knowing that this story needs to be told and, you know, shared. So that was one surprising thing. Um, I was also surprised that there was actually this was kind of a silver lining of the uh, pandemic environment that there were international folks who participated um, because I had only, you know, when I initially planned all of this, I was thinking probably just California, um, but definitely just US. But ultimately I wound up having participants from Germany, um, South Africa, New Zealand. Um, so that was, you know, a great, uh, it was great to have that international perspective. I think on the data side, I was surprised that more of the businesses didn't have a uh, minority or women-owned business designation, uh, meaning like they got certified to say that they're uh, a Black-owned or women-owned business. Um, but I found out and learned later that that could be kind of a um, cumbersome task to try. Well, to mm -hmm. As a Black business, would you need that though? Like, I would never think if I owned a wine shop or a winery, I would never think to get that because I'm the minority. Well, because, I mean, most people who, most organizations that get that designation have an intention of selling to some government agency. Got you. Okay. Um, and so if you are a winery, I'm not saying that the government doesn't purchase right. wine, but there's not as large of a market if you were a, con a construction company or you were an electrician or what have you. And it is, it is very, very cumbersome to get that. Yeah. So that was, a, both of those were lesson, lessons learned for me. Um, and thank you for even adding that to help me further understand why that might be the case. Um, but something that I was surprised but not surprised about was the level of this sense of needing to give back among these entrepreneurs. And you know, the literature, the, the little bit of literature that does exist about uh, black and minority entrepreneurs does clearly state that that's a, that's, a, that's a trend. And that is something that's really endemic to minority cultures is this uh, sense of needing to give back, lift others up, um, so I did find that in my study that there was definitely a sense of, well, I want to help the next winemaker or wine business. I want to give to my community through, you know, sponsorship and donations. Um, so that definitely um, bore out and aligned with the existing studies on um, Black entrepreneurs in general. So I was happy to see that that was also the case um, in wine, too. I was getting ready to ask when she mentioned donations and things like that of the winemakers and wine companies um, giving back. Did any of those entities talk about giving um, scholarships to 
um, people of color who are interested in taking like UC Davis anology mm -hmm. classes and or wine certification classes, things of that nature? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I didn't ask that explicitly in the survey. I think I did generally ask was scholarships and one of the ways that they give back. So I can definitely follow up on that figure. Uh, but even in the interviews, I don't recall hearing them specifically talk about uh, those types of scholarships. I think they try to do it much more at the local level um, mm -hmm. so that if there's someone in directly within their community that they can support, they might do it that way. But you know, that's definitely another great option, possibly collectively even forming scholarships that would support wine education, wine business education. Um, exactly, because mm -hmm. those wine management courses at UC Davis and the, um, I forgot the other organization out there, are expensive. And that would be a added bonus to our community getting more involved. Exactly. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. They do have the um, AAAB uh -huh. has the scholarship fund for Black winemakers. Uh, and the Roots Fund just released their scholarship recipients mm -hmm. for this year. It's, yeah, it's a lot of people we know on there. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, now it's probably, probably, you guys can tell me because I'm, again, new to this, but probably the, the most prevalent time where there's scholarships being awarded and being um, created. So that's what I've been telling people now who I come in contact with. Like if you have any interest in wine at all, you wanna just do level one like I did and I got the Josh Hart um, scholarship with 99 other folks, um, now is the time to do it. What could be better is having that information in a central place um, because had I not been on sabbatical, I would not have the time to go searching, <laughs> you know, all over the place to find that information. So if that info could be in one centralized place, that would be awesome. But if, yeah, I would definitely highlight the Association of African American Vintners as a good source for, for anyone to start on that journey. Yeah, I know a few people who have also uh, received really big internships too. Yeah. yeah, so the opportunities are out there. I love that. I um, got to participate, not participate, really more document and support the Lodi Appalachian Inclusive Collective, which is in Lodi, California, which is about a, you know, two hour drive north of Fresno or an hour south of Sacramento. And it's actually the, the largest grape growing region in the United States, but it's kind of, you know, Napa's kind of stepsister, ugly stepsister in a way. Um, people don't know about it, but it has some of the world's oldest vines there. And what I was getting at with the Root, Roots Fund, they hosted Rooted in Lodi there with the Lace Collective. And folks got immersive experiences. They got to do everything from end to end, uh, look at the vines, understand um, you know, how to manage the vines, pick the grapes, actually create their own blends, and just really get that one-on-one -on -one personal connection with the winemakers in that region. And so I think, you know, it's time intensive, it's labor intensive. There were only four people, I think, who participated at that, um, in that immersion experience. 
Um, so it's hard to scale something like that. But I think on the other hand, the outcomes of, of doing something like that are just so valuable. So hopefully um, the Roots Fund and or the other organizations can continue to provide experiences like that. And also I, um, I found this truly informative, but also I think that people outside of us need to read it. So I think a lot of these other winemakers who aren't Black need to see how much work that we're putting into their industry. And then um, I can't wait till you get into the consumer part of it because, I mean, I'm sure their jaws are going to drop about how much buying power that we, we have. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's, you know, when it comes to, well, what can we do? It was really important for me to in the report as best I could and with the knowledge and data that I had about what can we do next. And from the consumer standpoint, we really can make a concerted effort to buy black wines. You know, we have that pool. If we go into a restaurant, if enough of us go into a restaurant and want a particular wine, eventually they're going to add that to their inventory. Um, and now with being able to buy wine online, you know, it's, it's no longer that where you're located is a barrier to getting black on wine. Um, so we can do our part, but definitely the industry needs to do its part and not let the momentum that we saw occur um, in May and June, July of 2020 kind of get lost mm -hmm. the wayside to just really keep up that same energy, that same attention. Um, and we have seen some organizations that have done that. I know, um, I think it's Napa Valley Vintners um, in partnership with AAAV has established a really uh, large scholarship fund. Um, but yeah, it's just a matter of keeping that going, keeping that reminder. And hopefully um, through the reports that I do and through the work that you all are doing, that voice will continue to be heard. I know you're already a teacher and you already have a job, but like, would you teach, would you like hold like a masterclass based on your report and just, you know, I mean, we'll pay for it. We'll just go, you know. Oh, I would absolutely love to do that. Um, particularly as I get more deep into um, that qualitative, that interview um, data, I would love to do that. Hmm. Um, yeah, I would absolutely love to do that. However, I can initially when I started thinking about this, I just wanted to like catalog the black wine entrepreneurs just like in a book or a calendar or something. Because that's where my mind um, by trade or, you know, before going into the university marketing, right? So marketing and communications and design is um, where my heart is. So that's where my mind would initially was like, oh, a beautiful you know, coffee table book highlighting these winemakers and the different wines and all of that. So I would still love to do that. So Sarita, I need some help from you. I know you just, you know, released, published your book. So I'm going to need some support. <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> so well, yeah. since, uh -huh. you, since you have a background in marketing uh -huh. um, and one of the biggest obstacles that people were citing was um, just people knowing. I mean, even though there has been this great surge in um, entrepreneurship and black wine, there's still, I bet if I walk down the street, people 
couldn't name five black brands. Mm -hmm. So in your experience, what, what is that barrier? Yeah, well, it's, uh, there's a few things I would say. Number one, entrepreneurs, their time is already limited as it is. They have to just focus on really just day-to-day survival. And then you add on a pandemic, you know, and it's really just about day-to-day survival. So I think there's a constraint of time and then of actual knowledge, you know, of, of understanding marketing, even though we're all consumed with it every day and exposed to it, just really applying it can be challenging if that's not your forte or you don't have the time to do it. So I think that's part of it. Um, Yeah, so I think that's, you know, really probably the biggest is just having that knowledge and having the time to do it. Um, And when I think uh, one of you mentioned, um, I'm already I have a full-time job. It seems like two full-time jobs actually, (laughs) Um, but I would love to get more into like marketing consulting for these businesses ultimately. And, you know, doing workshops, things that are like really low cost, you know, low hanging fruit, things that they could do to increase their presence and um, increase their service quality as well. So I would love to do that. Um, But one way- Oh, you're gonna get an email from me, so. Um, But one way we've started working on that is through the Sit Consciously um, directory, um, which I um, worked with the founder of Uncorked and Cultured, who's Angela McRae. She and I together partnered um, since I had been just kind of piecing all of these different Black wine entrepreneurs together and creating my own huge Excel spreadsheet. And we said, well, let's make this available Um, to everyone. So both the consumers know where they can find uh, Black-owned, you know, wineries or wine brands, whether it's in their local neighborhood or just simply online. And then so that the industry folks can find each other, because that was another challenge of knowing, you know, I want to start my wine retail shop. How do I get in touch with Black wine distributors? Um, Or how do I learn more about Black wine producers? And so that's really the crux of the subconsciously directory is just making that information available um, as we progress, hopefully amplifying those entrepreneurs a bit more, providing a bit of that marketing for them, um, and just making it available in one central place um, so that no matter where you are, if you're traveling, you can just go to the directory and say, well, what Black-owned winery or wine brand is near me or wine retailer is near me? So that's really what we hope to do with the subconsciously directory. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, you guys are doing great work. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much. I would I would really be curious not to give you any more work, Monique, but I am. To like to <laughs> see annually over the you know the next 5 years um which brands have been sustainable. Mm. Um and which brands have like experienced growth and have increased their distribution. Because I think that um, being in the black wine industry is in vogue now, mm-hmm. just like being in the spirits industry. Mm-hmm. And, this, and this one woman came up to me and she was like, oh, I would love to make wine. And I, so I was like, well, do you know anything about wine? 
Mm-hmm. No. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, I'm sorry. Was she yeah. rich too? Okay. I just didn't, you know, so, you know, a lot of people mm. are, want to be in the industry and God bless them. Right. Cause you know, the more the merrier. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that people realize the expense mm-hmm. and the time and just like with any business, um, there's a lot of growing pains there. And so we've seen this big emergence of new business owners and to see where it pans out five years from now, 10 years from now. I absolutely love that um, idea. I think that's very important to give a reality check Um for folks to understand, like, you know, this is what the investment is financially, emotionally, uh, family time that you'll be missing out on, uh, mental health, a bunch of different investments that you'll be making. And um, I really should have done, a, I think, a better job of positioning the report as, you know, so you want to own a winery or you want to be in the wine business, <laughs> you know, here's a reality check, not to dissuade anyone, but just like anything, the more knowledge you have to prepare you, you know, the better that you can deal with those hiccups and challenges when they occur. So um, th- uh, thank you for, for bringing that up. And I think that's a fantastic idea. All righty. So we're going to move into our second part of our show. And we're just going to ask you some random questions. I think these are pretty much, okay, well, one, Leslie, you can't answer because you didn't go to HBCU, but. Um. <laughs> yes, I did. Where you go? I went to Howard. No, you didn't. I you ain't never told us you went to Howard. You I thought yeah. you went to Towson. I did, and I went to Howard for grad school. I no, I did not realize that. Yes. <laughs> my apologies. My apologies. That's okay. <laughs> you can humble yourself later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the first question is our money question. We are up to thirty-five thousand dollars. If you received $35,000, what would you do with it? Should I go first? Sure, go for it. Okay. You know what? I am I'm a little bit shook after this past year. I'm such a saver now. <laughs> My first instinct is just sock it away, keep it for, you know, rainy day, whatever happens next. But if I was going to splurge, I'd probably invest it actually in opening um, like an urban winery. I would kind of use that as my starting capital to get that going. You know what? I would build a little workshop building with um, like a little little hideaway, a little cabin in the woods. That would be my little getaway, my shack on the water. Wow. It depends on which waterbed you went next to. It would be a shack for $35,000. Exactly. It's just a little getaway. Just like a bedroom, a little kitchen, and definitely facilities. $35,000, Leslie. I I was about to say, you about to build this by yourself. (laughs) That's how you can afford it. (laughs) (laughs) It's a DIY project or... So to answer your question, Sabrina, I'm going to loan Leslie my 35000 and make some interest off of his shit. She's going to need something for the cabin in the damn woods. Ain't nobody messing with her. 
<laughs> she ain't got had no damn bathroom. It's gonna be in an outhouse for thirty five thousand. Okay, so now she got seventy. We going. Go ahead now. I would buy um, what do you call them? Um, like mobile home. Uh, oh, okay. I would buy a mobile home. So when I don't feel like getting on a plane, and I don't feel like driving, because also this mobile home is gonna come with a driver, because. We're not gonna do that. Just I just want to ride, you know. Okay. So, so almost Sarita, like like my own bus. Do you know how much they cost? <laughs> she honey, I teach the bar. You like plus money. You got a better chance of living in my shack. <laughs> plus money, money to guarantee. No, I actually don't. I'm gonna be a loan shark. I'm about to be the richest one. It doesn't have through. to be real fancy. It just needs Look, a bathroom and a bed. It ain't. The, the the baseline ones are starting at 50. You're lying. Yes, they can mm. run into the millions, some of those. Wow. Like that the one, baseline. What's the, yes. What's starting that oh my gosh. Those are expensive. Huh. Yeah. Airstream, Airstream ones. Air, Airstream. Oh, oh, the, oh, yeah. You can just cancel like, Christmas, darling. <laughs> and John Madden's bus that he used to ride around in. Because he didn't like flying to get to these games, that thing was like a a, a rolling motel, mm. millions of dollars. It was kitted out. It was just unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. So, um, unless you I'll look go- into the Prius, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hook it to the Prius and find. Girl, you know a Prius can't pull property. a thing. And a Prius can't pull nothing. <laughs> okay. Oh so y'all told me. Okay. Next question. She I wish she, said, I'm she gonna I'm give you. Oh, she. Oh, she. Oh, okay. I'm gonna loan y'all some of my money because this girl, so Rita can take her whatever she get and put it on your waterfront property. So y'all have some ways to go to the bathroom until <laughs> your <laughs> Uh, they can they can be in my parking lot. I'll charge. <laughs> you, she says she gonna charge us rent. That's <laughs> so okay. messed up. I don't know what up to here. Oh god. Oh um, man. That's oh, hilarious. That <laughs> okay. Next question. What inspired you to go to HBCU? Oh <sighs> my mother. I had no choice. Uh, it yeah. was because I thought I was going um, in my mind. I taking all these trips down to Hampton because Miss Pipkin from our church that was her uh, her alma mater. And she was like, "I'm going to take these kids from the inner city down here to see this great universe uh, institute." At the time, because it was not a university then, it was an institute. And then I came home. Yeah, mom, I'm going to Hampton. So she said, "No, you're not." Cause you're not crazy. You're not going to institute. I want you to see this university in DC. <laughs> if this is a true story, I'm not being trying to be funny. I was like, oh my, okay, let me go. <laughs> On the bus coming around the reservoir um, past um, Children's Hospital. And I was like, oh, this is the bomb. It's right in the middle of the city. I don't have to go to the country. I'm so, I'm going to Howard. Mm. So, And then I started after that initial exposure. I started doing research. I was like, oh, it's the Mecca. Of course, I'm going to Howard. There's no other school. <laughs> so, yeah. 
Best decision I ever made. That's a good story. <laughs> My mother's <Yeah>. crazy. <laughs> you ain't going to no institute. You ain't crazy. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. righty then. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Monique? Um, Please say- don't say you went to Hampton after all that. No, ma'am. She went to she went to the great Morgan State. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I saw that I rolled, Leslie. I don't oh. appreciate it. Oh, a bears. There they the go. Bear. I know the what you're bear. The bears. Beltway. <laughs> um. Yeah, my parents. They went. Both my parents and my older sister all went to an HBCU, the exact same one. As a matter of fact, North Carolina Central, and I was the outlier who had to just go on a different path. And I just love Baltimore, D.C. area. And I got it was between Howard and Morgan. And Morgan gave me the full scholarship. So the decision was well, there, really important. There you go. There that you sounds go. about how Howard does it. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Leslie? Um, when I was an undergrad at Towson, my summers... I worked at Howard. My dad had a business and he was, uh, his business managed some of the dorms. So I worked for him during the summer. And then when I graduated from college, I was like, I wanted to get a master's in public administration. And um, Howard has a really good program in, Dr. Ron Walters was the chair of the department at the time. And I was working um, already in political science. Also, I felt like as an undergrad, even even though there was like a a tight-knit black community at Towson, I just felt like I missed out. And especially working at Howard, I was like, I, um, I didn't have black professors at Towson Um, and I wanted to get that experience to, I wanted to have black professors who worked in the field, who could tell me and guide me. So um, that was part of the reason why I went to Howard. Mm. Y'all answers are so eloquent and mine isn't, it really isn't. It's. Was it, was it a different world? Was well, first it a different of all, world it, it, at first, yeah, first of all, it was a different world. And um, I grew up in DC. So we were at Howard for every and anything. So the football games and we took some prep co- college courses there. I was always at Howard. So I didn't feel like I was going anywhere if I went there, even though my family, like my family, a, a lot of them went to Howard and they, they called when I graduated, they called, are you sure you don't want to continue the family legacy and go to Howard? I was like, nah, son, my mom said that if I go to Howard, then I have to stay home and not pay like uh, the dorms and stuff. I was like, oh no, and, no, I've, I just need that space. You know what I'm saying? So yes, anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. Morgan was a nice, a nice balance. It wasn't too close and it wasn't very far. So and I love the energy when I stepped on the campus. So it was a no-brainer. Recently, I I drove through Morgan's campus. It is so beautiful. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's much more the... beautiful now than it was when I was there. Oh my goodness, yeah, it's yes. gorgeous. Now. It's gorgeous. And just think gorgeous. what it looked like in 84. I was like, I absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Nope. And nope. 
Um, all right, next question. What was the first wine made by a black winemaker that you had? If you can remember. We don't count Shempipple, do we? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm going to be serious. I'm still laughing off that ugly. Well, my first. I know what my was, first was. My first was my grandfather's cherry wine, but he don't officially count. Um, right. But the very first one was Andre Max. Mm. And it was his, um, the Pinot Noir, which is still one of my favorites. Mm. Mine was Brown Estates. Mm. Nice. Um, red, the, the Red Zen. That's what made me fall in love with Red Zen, Fidel. Ooh. Yep. Yeah. And I just love the whole story too, so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember because I was drinking it at that Black Vines Festival, so I don't remember what I tasted then, but just, you know, a single bottle on its own Brown Estate um, Sauvignon Blanc. And actually, um, Cassandra Shegg from Sip Wine and Beer in Temecula or San Diego area sent it to me. And so oh, that's how Nice. Oh. Nice. Um, can she be my friend and send me some right back? <laughs> <laughs> it's so sweet. I bet she would, you know. She's so sweet. <laughs> nice. Um, my first was also Andre Mack, but it was the Love Drunk Rose. Mm. Yeah. I was like, that's so this is a really if black wine is gonna taste like this, yeah. I'm excited. Oh, well, sorry. Sorry, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it, yeah, you got to take the good with the bad, I suppose. <laughs> and that's with any wine. It's white, true. White, white wine makers, black wine makers, Spanish wine makers, but that was, a, I just had to throw that fun in there. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm on a roll with that. <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't even been drinking. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I need to get up and get a glass. Oh my gosh. Okay, so the next two questions are from Monique. Um, do you miss anything about the East Coast? Ooh, I miss everything about the East Coast except for snow. So yes, um, Fresno is not the California that you think of when you think about California. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, but it has been so good to me. You know, I can't complain. I really cannot complain. The university, the area you know, it's given me a chance to really blossom and bloom. So I'm, I'm so thankful for that. But yes, I do miss um, Baltimore. And I lived in Philadelphia right before I moved here. So I do miss a lot about these coasts. Most importantly, my family is all still there. Um, but then like food activities, you know, just being able when I had my hair, like I have sister locks now, it's an ordeal. If someone stops doing the locks, then I have to find someone like 200 miles away to do it. Mm. So those types of concerns, you know, first world problems, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, was at a, I was at a group tasting a few weeks ago and there was a girl who was from here, but she, was, uh, she lives in California and she was visiting. Uh -huh. And um, she was talking about how she can't get grilled food. She can't uh -huh. get burnt hot dogs at California. I was like, I don't understand that. It's always nice. Y'all should be grilling like every day. She was just uh -huh. like, but they don't. And also it's nothing but vegetables. She was like, uh -huh. somebody tried to fool me and like grill a carrot and <laughs> put it on a bun. <laughs> yeah. Very health conscious for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. Definitely. So yeah, that's you know, you gotta take it's everything is a trade-off. All right. Last question is for you. How do you decompress after you've completed your study? Like how did you decompress? And did that include wine? Um I don't know when I actually finished it. I guess maybe when I hit, you know, send on the report or posted it somewhere. <laughs> I guess that would be the, the finish for that study. And, you know, I didn't really do much because I was, you know, back working as, you know, as a professor. So I didn't really get any downtime, any lag time. But yeah, but just in general, I love swimming when I can. I do. I'm much more interested on the business side of wine than I am in actually consuming consuming it regularly. I do enjoy it. Um, I love learning about it. I got my W set level one. I'm going to be going for level two. So I love learning about it. But um, I'm it's not. Okay. Give 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 you time. Give you another year. <laughs> All that's going to change. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So more more wine consumption to come for sure. Awesome. If you feel like you're being bombarded with samples that you are just not going to drink, you can send it right on back here to the East Coast. We will <laughs> take care of that for you. You know what's funny? Um, I don't know if there's a Hughes Society near you guys. I know there's a New York chapter. There's a Northern California chapter of Hughes Society by Tahira Habibi. But I joined it, you know, as soon as it became available. And through that, you are sent samples and have wine tastings. But just as the universe would have of it, as soon as I joined and started receiving all these samples, I got a medical diagnosis that required me not to drink any alcohol. So what? like month and month and month of bottles. So I have a lot of, I have a lot of drinking to make up for. I can drink oh. now. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I have to make up for lost time. Okay. What a great pastime. Yeah. And well, if you ever go to Atlanta and hang with Tahira or anybody in the black wine industry in it, child, yeah. get, get your liver ready. Uh -oh. <laughs> yeah, detox before. They are drinkers. Detox after, God Almighty, I thought I could hang with Jesus. And if Glennis is saying this, my God. <laughs> I say this all the time. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen Glennis drunk because wow. I'm way over the top before she even gets there. Monique, where tell everybody. Thank you, Monique. Where, and where can everybody find your study? Yeah. Um, so probably the best place is, well, easiest to remember is moniquebell.com slash wine, W-I-N-E. I've also started a new website and hopefully it'll become a blog eventually. Uh, winebell.com and that's spelled w-y-n-e-b-e-l-l-e.com and instagram is winebell the winebell um, spelled the same way um, any of those locations you should be able to find the link to get the study um, and i appreciate the support feedback all of that you know just let's just keep progressing and moving the discussion forward yeah, thank you for joining us. It's been my pleasure. I look forward was, to learning more from you all. It was I a pleasure talking you. to you. And I know we'll learn more from you as well. Through Absolutely. all the data and your surveys and your studies. So. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it all. Thanks so much. Thank you. Have a good night. You will. Have a good night.
Thanks for joining us today, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe and share and comment and all the things. And also follow all of us on social media. Enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers.